Hi, I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. Hi, friends. Uh, Welcome to our podcast today. And um, today we're going to be uh, looking at the Gospel of John, John 2, verses 1 through 11. This is one of our favorite passages um, at the wedding at Cana. And so I'm just going to let Alan take it away and tell us a little about this passage. Thanks, Christy. Yeah, um, you know, we've mentioned before that the common lectionary uses John kind of as a fill in various places. And this is especially true when there are gaps in the regular readings for the year, especially in Epiphany. Epiphany is shorter or longer each year, depending on the date of Easter. And so um, when, when they have gaps in the planned readings from the gospel for the year, like Luke, they'll fill it in with, with John. So the lesson does concern the wedding at Cana and the sign that Jesus did there. And we know very well the story of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding feast in the village of Cana in Galilee, but I'm not sure we get the point of it. In fact, I think many throughout the history of our faith have made a concerted effort to suppress the point of this first sign. The idea that Jesus would make a huge quantity of alcohol, around 120 gallons, has offended the sensibilities mm-hmm. of many in the church throughout <laughs> history. <laughs> well, you know, when you, especially in the Presbyterian tradition, when some of our main Presbyterians were part of the prohibition movement, yeah. it becomes something of a, of a stumbling point, sure, right? Sure. Um, so, you know, and, and it was before we started this, we talked about the importance of putting this into the context of the period yes, as opposed indeed. to a, yes, a, 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 a prohibitionist uh, and, and yeah. the fallout from that. But before you go on, Alan, I have a quick question for you. How would I understand a sign as being different, different from a miracle? Uh, they're not really. Um, it's just this is the way John you know, uh, frames uh, these events. John has these. Well, some have identified seven signs that reveal Jesus' glory mm-hmm. uh, in his gospel. Um, there may be others, um, but but um, yeah, the, the, this is just a Johannine theme, as we we saw last year. That you know that um, the, the, there are these signs. Um, uh, several of them are identified specifically. This one is the wedding feast at Cana, the healing of the official son at Capernaum in chapter 4, the healing of the paralytic by the pool um, seems to be intended to be one of them, although it's not specifically identified mm-hmm. as a sign. The feeding of the 5,000 is identified as a mm-hmm. sign. Um, whether we should include the walking on the water also, uh, because he reveals, you know, I. I am. He, he tells them, right. I am, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the healing of the man born blind in, in chapter 9 seems to be one of the signs. Uh, the raising of Lazarus in chapter 12 is definitely one of the signs. You know, but it, what about the crucifixion and the resurrection? I mean, that's where Jesus is lifted up. He's glorified, right? Right. right. And then the resurrection appearance to Thomas, you know. So um, this is a major theme in John's gospel that, okay. that um, the, the works that Jesus does these special works that are signs. Mm-hmm. One interesting point is that several of these um the healing of the official son at Capernaum, the wedding, the the, the feeding of the five thousand. Uh, these are these are are paralleled in um, the synoptic gospels, right, right. but uh, several of them are not. And the wedding mm-hmm. feast is only right. told in John's gospel. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I think um, I think people maybe new to John and the different language, it can right. be. It can be hard to... Well, it's kind of strange because, you know, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus specifically disavows. He says, I will not give this generation a sign. Exactly. And then in John's Gospel, we hear all this language about signs. Right, right. <laughs> so, so it can it, be confusing. It's, it's, it's that lens, and, yeah. and that Johannine lens is unique. Yes, so indeed. just a reminder yes, that. Okay, yeah. so take us through what happens. I mean, next. So John begins the passage by locating this event on the third day. And we might be, you know, the way it gets broken up, John gets broken up, it's so easy to miss this. Um, you know, I've mentioned before, John's gospel seems much more intent on locating events narrated 
in a certain time and place. Mm -hmm. And in this section, I think specifically this phrase ties it to chapter 1. Chapter 1 begins with the ministry of John the Baptist, and then in verse 129, on the next day... Jesus sees John sees Jesus and identifies him as the Lamb of God who takes mm-hmm. away the sin of the world. And then in verse 35, on the next day, Jesus encounters two of G- mm-hmm. John's disciples, Simon and Andrew, and they follow him. And then in verse 43, on the next day, Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. And so then John's gospel says Jesus attended a wedding at Cana on the third day. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I really do think it's impossible to know precisely the time frame of these events. But the point of this is that, that what Jesus does at the wedding feast at Cana is tied to chapter 1. Mm-hmm. In chapter 1, you have the beginnings of Jesus' group of followers. And to some extent, the, the point of the sign that Jesus works in Cana is that his disciples believed in him, as it says oh, in verse 11. Yes, yes. So it's like this is their sort of, I guess this is when they really come to, to believe, right. although although we know Nathaniel has already expressed his confession of faith in chapter right. 1. Right, uh, but now you know it seems like this is a this is an important stage for them in terms right, of their own right. progression. Well, and then um, of course the other we've mentioned the disciples and Jesus, but the other main character is Mary. So, yes, so tell us about Mary. Yeah, yeah and I think it, it's uh, to me it's ironic that you know before Jesus is even mentioned. You know, John's gospel starts out with saying the mother of Jesus was there. <laughs> there was a wedding, and on the yeah. third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she gets mentioned first. Uh, and I think it's clear that Mary will play a significant role in this event. Mm-hmm. She's identified only, not she's not identified by name, she's identified only as the mother of Jesus or his mother, but she is named four times mm-hmm. in the narrative. And we'll return to her role in this episode, but at the outset, it would appear that Jesus had been invited to the wedding because Mary was there. That seems yeah, to be but, the implication. Right, right. Maybe she had some kind of role in just making sure everything was running. Who knows, right? Well, well, as we'll see, I mean, you know, we don't know the connection that Mary and her Jesus had with this family from Cana, but there is a tradition in the church that speculated that it was the wedding of John, the son of Zebedee, who was believed to be the son of Salome, who in turn was believed to be Mary's sister. So, it, you know, the the church tradition developed this into a family affair. Right. You know. Well, it, 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 while we don't know, it, it, you could see that that, that I see how the tradition emerged, I guess. Right. You can right? see how yeah. it did. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I find interesting about that statement that Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding in verse two is that it, to me, it seems ironic that after what is presented as only a few days, <laughs> yeah. those who followed Jesus are already identified as his disciples. I think really what's going on here is that this is the standard language of the gospel for the 12. And so since these were part of the right. you know, first of the 12, they're, they're identified as, they're, that, that's just how John's gospel names them. They're his disciples. There's his, exactly. And yeah. that makes sense. So what do we know about the feast? Well, we don't know much uh, because the point of the story is to highlight not the feast, but what Jesus right. will do. I think we might surmise that this family was not particularly wealthy because it seems that their feast was planned to last only a day mm-hmm. and traditional wedding feast could last up to a week. Uh, and, you know, this may play into the fact that before the feast was over, we're told that the wine gave out. And that's really the only thing that we know, you know, about the wedding feast is that the wine gave out. <laughs> and so um, that was, that. that's really all it's, that, that it tells us about it. Right. And so m- moving on then, how, how do the characters play in yeah. this, 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 this crisis? Well, here, <laughs> the is run out. here again, I think we see Mary. Mary plays a primary role in this event. John's gospel tells us that when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, you know, it's not clear on the surface of things that she was expecting him to do anything about it. Uh, but Jesus' response implies that that was the case. So we're working, we're working with the whole text here. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing in John's gospel that would create the assumption that Mary was asking Jesus to work a miracle. Jesus hasn't, you know, John says mm-hmm. specifically at the end of the passage, this is his first sign, right? Right. So right. Um, I think she would have been just as surprised at what happened as anybody else. Mm. 
Okay. So keep moving on. How does Jesus respond to his mother? Well, in a way that sounds probably strange or maybe even offensive to us, woman, what concern is that to you and to me, according to the New Revised Standard Mm -hmm. Version? Now, in the first place, the manner of his address to her seems impolite at best, woman. Um, but in general, there really is nothing about this form of address that was less than respectful. In John's gospel, Jesus uses this form of address several other times. He, he uses it with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He uses it with the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. He uses it with Mary Magdalene in mm-hmm. the garden after he's been risen in John chapter 20. And he uses it with Mary at the cross when he commends her to the care of the beloved disciple in John nineteen mm-hmm. twenty six, woman, behold your son. And that was an act of kindness. Right. So um, there's nothing in this particular form of address in and of itself that was disrespectful or rude or impolite. It was not customary for a man to address his mother in this way. Mm-hmm. And that's about all we can say. And, and I, I, think, I think maybe the next comment might help us to understand that a little better because he goes on to say, what concern is that to you and to me? And that's not only difficult English, it's almost incomprehensible mm-hmm. in Greek. The phrase is literally, ti emoi kaisoi, or literally, what to you and to me? Mm-hmm. And the basis for this is an idiom Uh that is found in the Hebrew Bible. And it's literally the same in the Greek and the English translated quite literally. What to you and to me. Right. And Mm -hmm. basically that idiom could really, really had two different implications. Either what have I done to deserve this? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's used that way. If 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 someone you know right. is is um, taking negative action against someone else, the person might say, "What to you and to me?" You know, mm-hmm. meaning, "What have I done to deserve this?" Or, and more commonly in the New Testament, it occurs in terms of, you know, "What business is that of mine?" Or, "Or that's your business, not mine." Right. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. what concern, and that's the way the that's the way the new RSV tries to translate it. What concern is that to you and to me? So basically, in both of these cases, we just have some language that doesn't quite make its way into our kind of contemporary American language and because it's a, it, it's a bit stilted. The translation's mm-hmm, a bit stilted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think. I mean, I think those of us that have worked in language understand mm-hmm. understand this. I, it, there's always that debate of of how literal you are to the translation, but mm-hmm. when you're when you're literal to the words, you're not always literal to the meaning. Right. And so there's this there's a trade off here. Right. And even if you're literal to the meaning, it doesn't mean that we still understand how that works today. So sure. I think you did a wonderful job here of explaining this to us. I just want to highlight that to to listeners that um, that even even as clear as we can make it, we're still putting ourselves into a different time and place, a different sure. culture. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's right. Um, so um, moving on, how does Jesus respond? Well, and, and so I think, you know, the combination of woman and, you know, what business is that of ours might be the way I would translate yeah. that. Or, yeah. or that's, not, that's not our concern or something like that. I think Jesus is maintaining his emphasis that we find throughout John's gospel that everything he did was at his father's mm-hmm. direction and referring to God. And so this would seem to the meaning of, of his answer to her because he goes on to say, my hour has not yet come in verse four. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned before in John's gospel, Jesus mentions his hour as a way of expressing his understand that his fate was really not in his own hands, but rather he was very much conscious of the fact that the course of his life was being directed by mm-hmm. God. And it's also a way that he expressed his commitment to carry out the task that God had given him. So I think that's what's going on here is, you know, um, she persists, you know, in, 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 in asking him to help. Mm-hmm. And he is uncertain, I think, about, you know, whether or not this was the right time for him to, to do something like mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, he is, he is very much committed to, to following God's path for his life. Mm-hmm. And he's very much aware that he can only do what God shows him to do. You know, as, as we're talking here, and I'm thinking about Mary, I can see that Mary's role has probably been interpreted and misinterpreted over the years mm. because does she know that this is his time and is she the yeah. initiator? Yeah. And I think you said, no, probably not. No. But it may have literally just been a, 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 
more of a, a son thing. Anything you can do. Can, well, you, can you run to the store? <laughs> and, and, and really, as we go on, I mean, I think, I think, you know, it's interesting because she responds by saying to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Mm-hmm. So she's not going to be deterred by Jesus' response. Right, right. Right? And, uh, you know, many see in this her expectation that Jesus would do something miraculous. But again, I don't think we have any basis for that expectation mm-hmm. in John's gospel up to this point. I think Raymond Brown uh, is more to the point that this response is similar to those that we find in the Synoptic Gospels. We've seen this in our survey mm-hmm. of Mark, who, who those who, when they asked Jesus for help and he initially raised an objection, they persisted in their faith and would not be deterred. Right. And when they expressed their faith in, with this kind of persistence, Jesus responded. And I think we can see this in Mary's yeah. role. That's what Mary is doing. By her persistent faith, she prevailed upon Jesus. Mm-hmm to help this family. And, you know, a further thought that comes to mind is, you know, the whole point, if the whole point of this narrative is that it leads his disciples to believe in him, perhaps we could also say that she set the example for that kind of faith right. by her persistence in, in her right. response Which, to him. Yeah. And I, I think this has probably been often misinterpreted, but I think yeah. this is a well, you know, interesting it, way to, in, in some to circles, it. it's all about you know, Mary interceding for right, us. Right. And in other circles, it's, you know, no, we can't go there. So right. we have to play it down altogether. And I, I don't think we want to fall off on either one of those extremes. Well, the thing that also struck me about this conversation so far is our own, our own habit of collapsing gospels ourselves. Mm-hmm. So taking Mary of Luke and then Mary, who knows this is coming, and then shoving her into John, mm-hmm. um, because that's how we handle our own Christmas story. Sure. Right? We, so, we com- just combine it all together. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're as guilty as these reformers that are before us. So, um, yeah, th- this is very this is very good to, 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 to take Mary out of Luke and, and look at what Mary well, we and have. Well, to take and, Mary mm-hmm. perhaps out of what we might call the Catholic tradition. Exactly. But also to take her out of the Protestant reaction to that tradition. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I like, I like, I like his... Um, and just take John's narrative for what, for it, what is. it is. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So let's move on and tell us a little bit more what comes next. So John says then that there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons, and Jesus told the servants to fill them with water. Then he had them draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast, and the narrative goes on to say that the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. I think that's an interesting comment because the Mm -hmm. steward doesn't know what's going on, but apparently the servants who filled the jars with water recognized, oh, this is something special. Right, right. So as a result, then the steward compliments the bridegroom for saving the good wine until the feast was already well underway. Now, many... Many see in the use of the stone water jars a contrast between the Jewish rites of purification with water Mm -hmm. and thus perhaps the whole old covenant and the new wine of the kingdom of God. But in my opinion, that presses the details of this particular narrative. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, look, it's true that wine plays a prominent role in the feast that God promises to set for all people when the kingdom comes Mm -hmm. in its fullness. And that this image for the kingdom of God is prominent in both the Hebrew Bible and the Synoptic Gospels. But that is not the point of the story as John's gospel recounts Mm -hmm. it. So again, I think we need to let John be John. You know, there are other places in the synoptic gospels where Jesus talks about new wine versus old wine. I don't think we should read that into this passage myself. Okay. Okay. So again, tell us what, then what is the point of Well, I think John himself provides the interpretation framework, you know, for this event. He says in verse 11, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Mm -hmm. That's the point of this passage. Mm -hmm. So this is the first of Jesus' signs in that it revealed his glory. And in John's gospel, the signs reveal his glory in that they demonstrate what he's about and what God's kingdom is about. Mm And they also reveal his glory in that they culminate in his being lifted up on the cross in order to draw people to himself, which, you know, John's gospel presents Uh as his glorification. Okay, okay. So um, that's the point of this this, uh, story, is that Jesus did this first of his signs and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And his disciples, and, and Mary. 
Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Surely. Yeah. Surely. She's presented, you know, the we don't we don't go on to verse twelve, but she's presented as, you know, John goes on to say that Mary and Jesus' brothers and Jesus' disciples mm-hmm. were with him. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, and and so we get the glory, and, 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 but then I, I, I go back to thinking, why why a wedding? Yeah, right. Why, why are we presenting this first? Well, and you know, I think in our day and time, it might seem like total disconnect that the inaugural sign, right? This mm-hmm. is the first of his signs of Jesus' ministry in John's gospel was the creation of a huge quantity of fine wine so that what was basically a drinking party could continue as long as it needed to. But I think we have to remember that part of the point of this miracle was to ensure that this couple's joyful celebration of their new life together could continue. This was mm-hmm. a wedding feast. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I have to re- we have to remember that setting, what's going on and why Jesus did this. You know, to run out of wine at a wedding feast would have been humiliating to the family and not least of all to the couple who were starting their lives together on this special mm-hmm. day. And if the wine had given out, it would have ruined the celebration you know, it would ruin the celebration, but it would also would put a mark against their family uh, that would not have been forgotten in a small village like Cana. And it perhaps would have not only marred the joy of the wedding itself, but it put it would have potentially marred the joy of their life together mm-hmm. as husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And so to me, the, you know, part of what's going on here is that Jesus makes enough fine wine to ensure that the joyful celebration of mm-hmm, life mm-hmm. continues. And this is something important that we catch this because, you know, that theme is a, a pretty major theme mm-hmm. in the wisdom tradition, in the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the main question that the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible deals with is how does one find the good life? Right. Right. Where is wisdom to be found? Mm-hmm. And wisdom and the good life are sort of kind of equivalent to one another. Mm-hmm. And the good life, you know, means respect, you know, honoring God. Obviously, it starts with honoring God. Mm-hmm. The fear, the beginning of wisdom is is the fear of the Lord, or we might say wisdom begins when we honor God. Mm-hmm. Um but more than that, you know, a part of that is simply the enjoyment of of everyday pleasures. Um, like family, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. wine, like, you know, uh, a marriage. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I will say this. I, I think the Bible's view of wine and its role um, in a joyful celebration is a bit naive. You know, we know that there are people in the world who cannot tolerate even a drop of alcohol right. because right. it will send them over a, a right. deep, dark, abyss right and and that's not a good thing and so we should we should keep that in mind that you know there are warnings against drunkenness in the bible right. and 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 not be naive right. about this that's, but that's I, right yeah. but i think yeah. in that cultural setting you know wine was an essential part of this wedding feast and for it to give out would right. have ruined the feast would have ruined the wedding day would right. have po- possibly even you know marred the 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 relationship and so jesus creates this huge quantity of fine wine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in order to to continue the joyful celebration of life. And mm-hmm. to, so to me, you know, Jesus' first sign, the first act by which he reveals his glory to his disciples, the first thing he does to demonstrate what he's about and what the kingdom of God is about is to promote the celebration exactly. of life, yeah. which is you know, again, a part of right. what it means to, to have wisdom, part of what it means to live the good life, you know, to enjoy the things that God has given us. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've thought, I've, I've thought about that often is that, you know, um, John starts us off with a party. He and does. That's pretty, that's pretty he exciting. Does. He yeah. does. And, you know, I, I love this passage for that I reason. Too. I think it's I fun. Too. It is fun. Yeah. It is fun. Well, we'll be back. Thanks. Thanks. Hi, friends. We're back, and we're going to invite Christy to help us uh, find out uh, whether and if the reformers were able to make any sense at all out of this passage. <laughs> well, oddly enough, they they love this passage. They they love to talk about it, but their interpretations are all over the place. And so, 
I think it's kind of hard to take a lot from it, but there are Reformation themes that we see coming in and out of it. And um, so I'll I'll tell you a few of them. Um, The first big question mark I thought was interesting was the the temptation to allegorize this thing. And um, I think... I think it really, the biggest question is, why would Jesus' miracles have started with a wedding? Um, there, there seemed to be, at least, there just was such a seriousness to faith. You know, today, sometimes I think we talk about maybe even humor or humor in the faith, or at least some of us do. And so this idea that this didn't quite make sense. So I had to have a more serious... Well, it's, it's too mundane, right? It's, it's not spiritual mundane. enough, Ex- right? Exactly. It's too, yeah. <laughs> So I think that's really part of how they, um, part of why they went there. So I'll just give you some of these. Philip Melanchthon, you know, one of our favorites, but he had this really with with the allegory. And he said, look, this is um, uh, between the people and the the gospel where, where the wine is the gospel. And the six pots then represent the teaching of the law. And this is why, quote, they are used by the Jews for ceremonial purification. The idea here is works versus faith. So in other words, there, that there was this idea that they could, um, that it was only with this wine that came in, the, turning the, the water to wine represents the faith in God's acts. And so there is this, this, this idea is um, um, this reformation idea of, of just the faith, this this water turning to wine there, as opposed to you had bought into all the stuff before and it, it, it didn't it doesn't it doesn't work. Um, so it was this the purification by water would have been the representative of works, whereas the wine represented faith. Exactly, exactly. Kind of like what I said not to do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So a different allegory comes from another uh, Lutheran fellow, Casper Kreuziger, and he has a different one that the image of Mary represents the church one that is um, burdened with danger and strife. And then Christ is responding to Mary who cried out uh, for help. I find that actually kind of interesting mm-hmm, myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another, Johannes Echolampadis. Now, Johannes is kind of funny because he says, look, all these people allegorize this and they're all critical of it. So he's noticing this debate. So you're getting a couple of those that, that have done this. He says, but this isn't necessarily bad because, hey, Jesus in, in his miracles, this has a lot of allegory in it too. So his, he said, hey, this is okay. So here he says, Christ wants to show what his kingdom is like. So he says that Christ who compared his kingdom to the bridegroom and himself to the bride is using the same interpretive framework here. He says he wants to convey that where Jesus is present, so too is the wine. That his his presence, quote, inebriates and delights them (laughs) with his wine. So without Christ, the water just tastes like water, but with Christ, the water is wine. Christ's presence gladdens us, he says. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's kind of fun. That, I guess we could preach that on Sunday and see if that works. <laughs> and then, of course, Martin Boots are on the other side of this says, stop it, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> please. <laughs> and, and Calvin as well. And Boots sees this as a historical account showing how, quote, Christ exercised his power and how the disciples put their faith in him. Wow, what a concept. <laughs> <laughs> he said, look. Christ would not allow the guests to go without wine, and he would not allow us to go without these goods that we need, the spiritual goods that we need. So I, I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah I thought that was him. really a, a, more, a little bit more... <laughs> On target. <laughs> target, yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, those who are not in the process of allegory, allegorizing this are starting to pull apart the pieces. And um, the question is, why now? Why Jesus? And one of the explanations is that running out of wine reflected divine providence. Um, it was the right time for Christ to begin his ministry. So this is kind of the big theology piece. And mm-hmm. th- there were more than one that kind of had this idea. There was this um, um, this handoff from mother's son to Jesus's role as God's son. So mm. th- wow. there was this, and they didn't articulate it directly. I'm kind of kind of taking several different ones, and this is kind of how I understood them kind of as a grouping. But there seemed to be a recognition that there was a transition from 
into Jesus, who's going to be in his active ministry now mm-hmm. at, at this time. So there seems to be this space here that happens here. And I thought so, that seemed to be, they seem to recognize this. I mean, they recognize that Mary is important in this, just as you did. Um, I think it was Calvin said, look, Mary's mentioned first. Mm-hmm. And so that her role is, 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 is important here, that we have to acknowledge her, her space. Um, they did, though, which I think is interesting, think that their response to Mary was, was his response was very rude. Oh, um, yeah. So they did not pick up on the, the kind of typical way. So clearly in the 16th century, this woman was as abrupt to yeah. them as it is to our ears today. Yeah. Um, so um, even, even reading the Greek or reading other pieces, they didn't pick up on that. that, mm. that to them, that was... Well, you know, I'm thinking of, of German and being for, that formal with your mother. You know, when mm-hmm. you have a, a language that has a, a formal address and an informal address, and being that informal, that formal with your mother would seem a little abrupt. Surely. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's part of what's going on there. Um, well, obviously, um, just, like, just like in our culture today, I mean, it just sounds strange. I think it probably would have sounded strange to their ears, too. I think so. I think so, too. Um, and yet... Um, he carries out her will and, you know, ultimately what if the wine had run out, how embarrassing for the groom's family it would have been a disgrace. And sure. so within their discussion is this, you know, there's this earthiness to a problem and yet joy to the occasion right. and, and stuff that we just acknowledged. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now I have to talk about Mary a little bit <laughs> <laughs> because we have to go into our, are are reformers who are responding to a Roman Catholic church that has mm-hmm. elevated her. I mean, the work of the, the we've talked about Mary before and the kind of cult of Mary that has really evolved in the Middle Ages. And I mean, there's a whole body of liturgy that is dedicated yeah. just to Mary. And so Calvin is the one is like, look, <laughs> Jesus's mean response to his mother is a warning to us that we should not <laughs> falsely elevate the Virgin Mary. <laughs> Of course he says that. <laughs> Which is a very kind of Protestant response mm-hmm. um, against what, you know, elevating her too high. And I think in our discussion before I mentioned it would be easy to see Mary in that light. I think you could interpret it that sure. way. Um, but kind of this, that doesn't really fit in with how John presents Jesus when, when you're looking at the entirety of the gospel. So um anyway uh but uh, calvin is also one of the ones that is wanting to put this then into this concept of providence that look jesus simply isn't ready um and uh, he says my hour is not yet come exactly exactly there's there's a sense here of um jesus's kind of humanity coming Mm -hmm. out in this process um a big second theme that comes out of this um is that the passage endorses weddings. Now, that might be a surprise for us because us Protestants don't think of it in these terms. But No, in, we go to Genesis as the sort of the institution exactly, of marriage, don't exactly. we? Exactly. Yeah. But remember that the medieval church begins looking down on the married estate compared to the celibate life of the priest. And, of course, prior to uh, when we were discussing this, marriage became a sacrament in the Roman Catholic Church in 1215, uh, at the Fourth Lateran Council, where, where most of the sacraments were kind of solidified as being doctrine. Um, and prior to that, it, it was really considered to be just kind of a base activity of, of humanity. And it was encouraged by the church, but it certainly wasn't, um, if you will, to keep people, as, as Paul would say, from you know running amok right, in their right, lust. Right, um, right. And it was a practical. It also had a very practical sense as is a means to um, pass uh, pass some um, property and, and and make sure that women had somebody to whom they you know could could live under right mm-hmm. um, a, a male. But um, I think I think what what's what's interesting here is because the Roman Catholic Church still elevated being celibate way way above marriage, even even after it became a sacrament, that that was still a better way to live. And that whole kind of, you know, that's why the priest is at the top of the church. That's why the priest mm. has, you know, they're higher to God. And of course, women, lower to the ground, women, wow. women are, you know, this is Aristotelian stuff, right? Women are, are base. Women mm. are 
um, because of their menstrual cycles, they are mm. they are grounded in nature. They're controlled by nature. There's the whole bunch of um, a whole bunch of uh, materials out all the way through the Middle Ages, uh, just really putting women in their place. And I, I used to teach a class on women's history. Um, we used to read Christine de Pizan's City of Ladies, you know, and she'd be like, "There's all these wonderful ladies out there, and we are condemned to be less than we can be." Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, so marriage is a necessary evil in a way. And so the Protestant reformers are looking at this as kind of a stamp on no marriage is really, this is the first sign Mm -hmm. that Jesus does is to help the celebration for a wedding. This is a good thing. I have actually heard people, people uh, in the Baptist world, especially, uh, use use the passage that way to say that Jesus endorsed weddings as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I've seen it in some. I think it may even be in some wedding ceremonies. If you look in some books of order and books of worship, you'll find you know part of the the litany that the that the pastor says is that you know it was instituted by God and um, something endorsed by Jesus yeah. or something like that. I could see myself using this as a text for a wedding. I mean, I really could. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be kind of fun to say, hey, you know, why not start off your ministry, you know, like Jesus starts off his his public ministry with a wedding, mm-hmm. you know, a, a celebration of life. So I think that's kind of interesting. Um, so it, there's a, a reminder here. I, I was looking at a, a reformer, Johannes um, Brenz, and he talks about, look, all of these things are good about our life. And we shouldn't be putting a state of marriage any differently than a state of celibacy or widowhood or whatever, that they are all of God. They are all part of our our human experience and they can all be gifts in what they say are the true service of God. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the wine. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. And you know, you know, the big debate in the Baptist world was 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 it really wine? Was it really oh, fermented? Exactly. Was it really wine? <laughs> of course it was. Of course it was. Well, and you know, you have to think about um, your your grapes would naturally ferment. Mm-hmm. You know, and how mm-hmm. many of us have had things around our house that have right. naturally fermented? Right. I mean, that was a way to preserve it too. Right. So, um, the, they don't have refrigeration, right? right. So, right. Um, but it was kind of interesting. Um, and of course, even in our period where, you know, the Germans are definitely making their beer and the French are definitely making their wine. I mean, this is part of the culture, right. um, of Europe. Uh, um, so no one's really questioning whether it's wine, but there are Anabaptists who are saying wine is bad already. So they are part of this, this picture. And, um, one of the questions though, is why did Jesus make wine from water as opposed to nothing? Mm. And, um, the explanation was it was just more real. It, mm, it was it yeah. more real of a sign. It wasn't that he created it out of nothing, but he turned something that was every day into something extraordinary. Mm. Um, and then there was, um, um, they made sure to say that despite it being wine, it didn't mean Jesus approved of drunkenness. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Um, and in response to the Anabaptists, um, Martin Bootser said, no doubt the Anabaptists, if they had been present, would have severely rebuked the Lord, if not excommunicated him. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, there's some truth to that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I leave my section just with Calvin, who saw this as a process of sanctification. Um, you know, saying, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. We all live into our faith and Christ's miracles serve as this building block of our faith. Yeah. And I mean, that makes sense, uh, you know, because that's kind of what I was talking about, how, you know, you have you have these the 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 calling of 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 well, Andrew and Peter follow Jesus basically he doesn't call them and then you have the calling of 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 Nathaniel and Philip and and then you know you have this uh, event at the wedding where they believe in him mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and so it it, it I, I get that that's that seems like Calvin's on track there yeah yeah I think so so we'll be back okay thanks thanks.
Hi, friends. We're back, and uh, we're going to um, pursue this theme of joy in everyday life. And I'm going to let Christy uh, start us off today. Yeah. Well, I, I love this story, you know, because here is Jesus's ministry begins with, with a party. You know, how much, how much fun. And yet, as a workaholic myself, I actually really struggle sometimes enjoying myself at the party. I had several parties last week, and I found myself, instead of just enjoying and being in that space I've called to be in, feeling like I have all this other stuff I need to be doing, mm-hmm. and forgetting that there's an importance in joy mm-hmm. and in celebrating the joy that we're given. And so I guess my response to this is is a reminder about kind of, where Jesus' ministry starts about about creation, maybe, um, and how God created us to be to be people that that enjoy each other and and yeah. to celebrate each other and to celebrate these things that are maybe seem mundane and and unimportant. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm reminded of you know we talked about we talked about how the 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 the, the joy taking joy in in uh, the created order and in the mundane things of life is a part of the wisdom of the wisdom tradition mm-hmm. in the Hebrew Bible. And I'm reminded of the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, the, the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes tries to find, you know, he says, vanity is, everything's vanity. Everything mm-hmm. is empty. Everything is meaningless. And, and he, he tries to find something that has meaning in life. And, and at the end of the day, all he can say is, well, all you can do is just enjoy yourself and in this life that God has mm-hmm. given to you, because it really doesn't mean anything because everybody's going to die. And, right, and that right. means, so, so nothing really has any meaning. That's, that's his problem is that every, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're righteous or unrighteous, no, no matter what you, how you live your life, everybody winds up dead and and for him that was it i mean right, the grave right. was it and and so it was a council kind of a despair but but you know when you look at that when you look at that from the perspective of the resurrection and the hope that we have beyond death then we can go back and and we can take not only what the preacher of ecclesiastes said but also what you find in the proverbs, the proverbs what you find in the uh-huh, psalms psalms as well uh-huh. you know there there it really is a lot about just the basic enjoyment of life uh, as a gift from God. And, and yeah. so, I mean, including things like weddings, including mm-hmm. things like wine, including mm-hmm. things, I mean, as I mentioned, you know, one of the primary images for the kingdom of God in the Hebrew Bible is this just incredible feast. And right, I, I, right. Was, I was having a conversation um, uh, about this with someone the other day, and and they were talking about yeah all the healthy foods right I said no no actually in the Hebrew Bible it's all the richest foods you right, know right. it's the it's the ones that we avoid because they're bad for your cholesterol well <laughs> I keep thinking of how much ministry Jesus does around the table mm-hmm. you know what I mean and especially in an era where food isn't necessarily a given mm-hmm. and you are having you're doing your ministry with others where you're celebrating food, mm-hmm. where there's enough yeah. for everybody to yeah. eat, yeah. where you're engaged in conversation and um, how much fun that is. I mean, and, and ha- we all know we're all good ministers. What we have most success with are whatever we do when we have food present there Surely. as well and Surely. things that people enjoy eating and drinking. Um, and that makes it fun. Um, yeah. You know, I'm putting together a college group and we're checking out all the pizza joints in town. Right. I mean, that's, you know, we're going to try and compare and contrast the different places and, and yeah. see what we like. Well, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think about and I think about I, my daughter just got married 10 days ago and uh, I was there for the wedding. And, you know, you have a reception afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the if the refreshments had given out and if the DJ had somehow gotten sick and, and had to stop playing music, you know, people would have hung around for a little bit, but they would have pretty quickly left. Right. Right. right because, right. you know, just being in that space of, well, there's nothing really going on. We're just going to hang around. No, we'll just exactly. go ahead and go. See you later. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of what it would, would have been like, you know, at this, at this wedding feast in Cana. Mm-hmm. If the wine had given out, you know, there would have been this uncomfortable, you know, awkwardness. 
And, and people would have probably excused themselves one by one and said, oh, such a lovely wedding. So thank you. you know, thank you so yeah. much. But really, when they got home, they was like, can you believe they ran out of wine at a right, wedding? Right. Or, you know, they had the whole buffet and they ran out of food. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. I promised to have food for exactly. us there. And, and there would be a unsatisfied sense about it well, instead of sending the bridal cop, couple off with right, joy with right joy, yeah. with joy mm-hmm. you know giving them the blessing i mean that's another factor of it you know that 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 you know the wedding is meant to be sort of the blessing that that mm-hmm. not only the families give to the couple but all your all the friends gathered there are sort mm-hmm. of blessing mm-hmm. this new couple as they're beginning their lives together and instead of that kind of send off you know, this couple would have been sort of just kind of, uh, you know, would have just kind of faded and, you know, just kind of been there. And, and it could, like I said, in a, in a small village like Cana, it could have been a mark against the family exactly. that would never have yeah. been forgotten. And it could have been one of those things where, you know, the wife goes into town and does her shopping and, and, and you know, she's embarrassed because of the way exactly. the women in the market relate to her. Uh, you know, is that too trivial? Is that too um, mundane for Jesus to be concerned about? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I keep, I, I keep, I'm going to the Fiddler on the Roof. I have you seen yes, the Fiddler on the Roof? Of course, you remember, of and Tevia has this stirs up this nightmare's dream when yeah. the daughter's going to be married to the butcher. And remember, <laughs> yes. because it was all going to be wrong and the party was going to be off. Right. And and right. it was not going to set the family or the bride off in the appropriate way. Because he was trying to convince his wife to let her marry the guy of he course, loved. Of she course, loved, right? Of course, right? And that had the whole other, <laughs> other piece of it. Yeah. But uh, what an interesting... Yeah, what an interesting. It, it reminds you of how important the wedding is, and and in terms of how our in our relationships, in terms mm-hmm. of what God's plans are for us. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Well, and just again, just joy is something that I think we've lost touch with in our culture. Oh yeah. You know, work has displaced joy. Absolutely. And and even. Even, um, you know, this sense of, of we have to make sure our children have enough chance to participate in enough activities. You know, so, so in other words, if, we, if I want my son to make uh, the, the, the high school basketball team, I've got to get him into basketball camp when he's preschooler so that by mm-hmm. the time he gets in high school, he has a chance at actually making it on the team, mm-hmm. you know. And... and w- all of this just sort of drivenness mm-hmm. that is that is rooted in our culture, and of course now we're in this pandemic where where people are working from home, and when when you work from home, work and home get really right, blurred. Right. They do. You they know, do. if you have a job where you go to work at, at your job and you go home and you're home and you can't do your work, it's a much bigger you know There's distinction. A, right, it's a clearer right. distinction, and and people recognize that you know un- unless it's a unless it's an emergency you know you're not going to get called into work but if you have a if you have a job where you can work from home boy those lines get blurred and i think and I, I i've listened to some things about you know how the pandemic is changing our work environment right. and that's one of the right. main concerns is that is that people are kind of burning out because um they're working all the time exactly well you know we're not meant for about- that you know, my mom grew up with kerosene lamps and I kept thinking about what about an age when it gets too dark to read and Mm -hmm. it gets, and so what do you do? We don't even understand that. You you, you tell stories or maybe somebody can play their instrument, but doesn't have to have music and, and, and we could just be present with each other. You know, I, I think about, I think about the time when the front porch was, a very important place yes. in our culture because that was the place where neighbors gathered. Exactly. Yeah. Where, where do you see that? No, you know? we have the you know the garage that opens and closes, and you get out and you go inside. You don't know your neighbors. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen I've seen some places where people will gather around a fire pit in the backyard. Yes, I think I I do think there's some places where it's being kind of rediscovered mm-hmm. but especially in the pandemic mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and i think i think there's there might be more of a push that way mm-hmm. um you know my family started doing puzzles yeah. and we're finding that we love it. It, it it we 
completely put aside our electronics and mm -hmm. and there's a real joy of purpose in it it sounds so silly but we've just we're just loving it so well you know i mean i go back to genesis on this you know God created this world and and you know every, in the first mm -hmm. in the first creation story at the end of each day right. quote unquote you know good. it was good <laughs> and then at the end of it all it was very good it was very good it was very good and you know there, that's the way creation was intended to be. Yeah, we can misuse creation. Yeah, we can misuse wine. Yeah, we can we can do those kinds of things. But you know, if we if we if we enjoy the the, the creation the way we were intended to, mm -hmm. you know, it's not harmful. It's not bad. And you know, that's a part of what we were created for. You know, it says we were made to tend the garden, but, I, you know, I and I think that meant, you know, we had something purposeful to do, but um, I think there was also a sense of joy to it. I mean, you know, yep. Yep. one of the things I find, I'm not much of a gardener, but to me, being able to see other people's gardens, <laughs> right, right, being able to be out in, in nature is something that is healing and restorative. It has something mm -hmm. that really, uh, one, I, I think one of the reasons why we are, are diminished, have a diminished capacity for joy is because we spend all of our time staring into man-made screens. Right, right. You know, we don't, mm -hmm. we don't really spend our time with, um, you know, the things that God right. provided, provided for us, face-to-face uh -huh. -face interactions. Exactly, um, um, You know, enjoying nature enjoying the simplicities of a meal you know we sit down to a meal and we're so in, we're so in a hurry to get through with it so that we can go on to do what we need to do that we don't even enjoy the food that we're eating right and you know it's um, there's something to be said for for just the simple joy celebrating life as god created it and is that too mundane of a miracle for Jesus to, yeah. to, to work as his first sign to reveal his glory? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. And it I, affirms the creation exactly. in the first place, and right? I think, I think, <laughs> I think in today, as you mentioned, this, this kind of COVID world we're in, that maybe we are more in touch, tune with the, the, the miracle, this sign than maybe we were before. I hope so. Alan, I, I thought maybe the best way to end the, this was is with a quote from Ecclesiastes. Sure. Eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> Eat, drink, and be merry. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And and not not from the standpoint of 1 Corinthians, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die, no. but rather eat, drink, and be merry because that's what God wants us to do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Christy. Thank you. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen, listen for, for the, the word. word.